Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. Right now we're in the middle of a sermon series called A Few Last Words. Jesus is the only one who knows what's going on. He's got now 11 disciples. It's the night that Jesus is just about to be betrayed. He knows what's going on, even though they don't. And it doesn't take too much imagination, unless perhaps you've been there yourself, where you knew you were going to die, or you very much thought you were going to die. And what really matters starts to bubble to the surface. Jesus has a few things he's going to share with his followers He's going to share a few things differently after the resurrection, but you can still see the intensity as you read, as you hear what he's got to say. Today's week two in the series. I've told myself for years, I promised myself I was going to preach a sermon one day called Jesus Take the Wheel, and we're here. We made it, you arrived. Um, because it, uh, it's harder than it sounds. And, and when your text challenges you to trust Jesus on something that you don't want to trust Jesus on, well, the illustration works. Will anybody here, through lifted hand, admit, my hand's about to go up, so I'm going to admit it. Will you admit that you are a terrible backseat driver? Drives you crazy to be in the vehicle when somebody else, right? Okay. Has it made you understand why you were 16 that the driving instructor sitting shotgun had his or her own brake? I call it the terror pedal. If you create terror, I press the pedal. It totally makes sense. And it doesn't take a degree in psychology to figure out what's going on. See, I'm an adult now. Usually when I'm in the car, I'm behind the wheel. I'm in control. And you know what I grow accustomed to? I turn the wheel left and the vehicle moves left. I turn it right, it moves right. I stop and it stops. Oh, brothers and sisters, that's addicting. It's addicting. Especially in the last year and a half where so many things have been so out of our control. Just a machine like a cell phone or a laptop or a dishwasher or a car doing what I told it to do, no questions asked. See, that's a really good feeling. One small basic thing in my life that I can control, I like that a lot. You do too, most likely. So why would anybody ever say, Jesus, take the wheel? (laughs) That sounds terrifying. (laughs) Why would you give control of your life to somebody else? That makes no sense at all. Unless you have four DUIs and you've killed six people, right? There's a certain amount of destruction that I can unleash in my own life 
and admitting to that destruction, that humility is what gets me to a place where I can say, huh, I am not the super ethical moral person that I thought I was. Jesus seems to be morally perfect and he loves me despite my brokenness. Scripture says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died. He loves me despite all of the willful brokenness on my part. Wow, that feels good. Is there a human being who's not a fan of unconditional love? It just feels good. So if I can, which is a huge step, if I can get to a place that there are moral and ethical realities bigger than me, and that I've been trying to play this game of life by my rules, and I've messed it up over and over and over and over and over, and I'm convinced that Jesus can take the wheel, he will if I ask him to, and that he is a perfect driver because he invented life. I, I suppose if those were in place, then I would say something as crazy as Jesus take the wheel. If you've ever said it, and you've said it genuinely, you're a Christian. You trust the God of the universe to be Lord over your life, not simply Savior, wash away your sins and save you from the consequences of sin, but be Lord over me, control, change my thinking, change my words, change my passions, change my behaviors. God, make me angry at the things that make you angry. Break my heart at the things that break your heart. I've already tried being in control. It didn't work. Jesus, take the wheel. And the hard part, which I've already pretty much given you this fill in the blank, note takers, the hard part of doing things Jesus' way is that it always requires me to give up control. Not some of the time, not part of the time, always. We're struggling with this concept, lordship. We're Americans, so like nobody owns us, we get to vote. The idea of somebody being a king, a sovereign, totally in control, it freaks us out because we see the way the world does leadership and they're all selfish as all get out. Jesus said that. Amongst you, it must be different. If you want to be the leader, be the slave of everybody around you. You want to be great in the kingdom of God? Wrap a towel around your waist and wash feet. That's how you get to lead in the kingdom of God. See, if we saw leaders like that, we wouldn't be so afraid of our leaders, now would we? And Jesus says, I want to be the leader over everything. And as soon as Greg Kaiser takes his eyes off the bloodied cross, I forget how good he is, how powerful he is, how merciful he is, and I start taking control back. I know you guys don't. I'm just talking about me here. I start taking control back because I forget how good he is. I forget how much he paid to wash away the consequences of my rebellion. I forget how much he loves me. And I start taking control back. Guys, faith is hard. And I'm not talking, some, listen, I wasn't born yesterday. Some of you in the room have told me I don't believe all that Christianity stuff. I know we're all over the map spiritually, even if numerically a bunch of people in the room are Christians. Is it hard enough just to believe the Christian gospel 
that human beings need their sins washed away and, the, and that God became a man and decided to live a perfect life. I should have lived, died a death, I should have died. Is that hard enough? Yeah, yeah, yeah. J- Jesus said it's impossible. Do you remember that whole, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven? That's not just money. Somebody who thinks they've got it all together, somebody who thinks things are going fine, oh man, is it hard for them ever to be reconciled to God? They think they've got it going on. And the disciples go, in despair, how could then anyone be saved? It's a good question. And he says, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Your cute coffee cup verse that you think is about winning your marathon. He's saying, I can convince of my goodness and mercy. I can convince somebody who thinks they don't need goodness and mercy. Saul of Tarsus, Did he have a better moral resume than you? Say yes. Did the Almighty God convince Saul of Tarsus he needed a savior? Yes, he did. Yeah. It is hard enough to believe the Christian gospel in the first place. In fact, it takes a miracle. But you know what's really, really hard for those of us who already love Jesus and trust him and have told him to take the wheel of our life? You know what's, you know what's really hard? Guys, I'm not, this is going to be hard today, and I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching at me. I promise you I'm preaching at me. You know what's really hard? When my children have to pray, Jesus, take the wheel, and I can't force my children to let go of control. I can't save my kids. I have never known desperation in prayer until I had three little pieces of my heart out there in the world sometimes making decisions apart from me. There's a degree of control in my walk with God because I'm either gonna control it or I willfully submit to Christ's control. Either way, I feel like I know what's going on. Oh, but what about my kids? I cannot tell my coworker that I love dearly and I've known her for 15 years. I cannot make her love God. I cannot make my father love God. I cannot make my grandchildren love God. And this is where we run 100 miles per hour. We run our nose into a brick wall called faith. You see, I am supposed to trust the God of the universe and the God of the universe out of his wisdom, his love and his mercy has given free will to every human being. I am terrified that my children might not love Christ. And I'm supposed to turn it over to God. And you know what God has said? God has said, your children get free will too, Greg. And that tests my faith because I don't like that. There are things where I don't want my children to have free will. If your toddler tries to run in the street, you grab their arm violating their sovereign free will to save their life. And you and I grow accustomed to this. You and I grow accustomed to our children having no free will. And if if we could do this with our loved ones, if we could do this with our friends, to say, I wish I had a magic wand to make you trust God. I would wave that wand if I had one, right? Our brother Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, said, I would go to hell personally if that would somehow save my people, the Jews. 
That is an intense love for somebody else. And he, it's an entirely theoretical statement because you can't. No sinful human being can suffer the weight of God's wrath for another human being. Only the God-man can do that. That's what the cross is for. Doing things Jesus' way is hard because it will always require me to give up control. <sighs> Let's read the text. You're gonna hear something in this text repeated four or five times straight off of Jesus' lips and it is going to challenge your faith, Christians. It is gonna challenge your faith, especially with your kids and grandkids, with your friends that you love dearly, your coworkers you love dearly, starting at verse 15. By the way, there's also a lot in here about the sending of the Holy Spirit. We're gonna talk about the promise of the Holy Spirit next week. It's gonna be good. Starting at 15, Jesus speaking to the 11. If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name, said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? Jesus replied, All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I am telling you is from the Father who sent me. Holy Spirit, teach us the Bible today. We ask for this grace in the powerful name of Jesus and God's people said. When it comes to the spiritual state of people I care about deeply, I really only have two options. These two options are the sermon today, and then we're gonna be done. This is hard enough on its own. We don't need to distract with more stuff later in the text. Here are the two options. First, I can ignore what Jesus said. How many times did Jesus just say one version of those who love me do what I say? That love and obedience are coupled together. You can't. Randy says four. Do we have any votes for anything other than four? Four is a lot in two verses, in just a short period of time, right? Anybody know that when your mother said something four times, you were really on the hook for it? Love and obedience 
cannot be separated, must not be separated. We are playing games if we try to separate them. But you see, the emotions just run too high. I, I keep going back to, the, for those of us who are parents or grandparents, because um, it's probably the most emotionally intense example, and it's one I feel personally. Because I'm in a world addicted to comfort and pleasure and things being my way, I don't like thinking about hell at all in the first place. I don't think, like thinking about the spiritual state that I was in, where I hated God, didn't want him in charge of everything, leave me alone, etc. Let alone thinking about my friends who are in that spot. I don't need you, Jesus. Stay out of my business or the consequences of what staying in that place of rebellion and not accepting the free mercy of God. Like, I don't want to think about any of that. But if you ask me to think about that related to my kids, I can't even think straight. It's beyond my capacity. James said the demons consider the reality of God's lordship and they shudder because they know they've already made their choice. Can you do anything other than shudder when you think about your kids? If you're blessed so that your kids love Jesus Christ, I'm so, so grateful. And this whole church is grateful, but man, I hope you know that you didn't make your kids' hearts love and trust God. I hope you know you didn't do that. One pastor I like to listen to a lot, he says, you can put kindling around that campfire, but only the Holy Spirit can make it come alive. You can make sure your kid hears the gospel. You can make sure that you live out the gospel in doing mercy, doing repentance, asking forgiveness, teaching them the word of God, but oh, only the Holy Spirit takes hearts of stone and makes them hearts of flesh. So I'm afraid those of us with unbelieving children, we come down too hard on ourselves. Those of us with kids that do believe, let's not uh, pull a muscle, patting ourselves on the back like we gave them. been very faithful. We may have done exactly what Christ wanted us to do, but we did not save our kids. Some of you guys right now would give anything for your grandkids to love Christ. The way that we ignore what Jesus said about this coupling between love and obedience, the way that we ignore it, again, and I wanted to validate how intense the emotion is because in those intense emotions, we all lose our minds, okay? And and in that, we can lose our theology. Like, I knew what the Bible said, but it's gone now because I'm so terrified of my child rejecting Christ. And we say things, I've prayed so much this week because I do not want to hurt your feelings. I need you to hear some of the things that you've said out loud. We've been, as a family, I've been in more discussions with you guys since the Judas sermon about this topic. So this is real. We say things to ourselves to cope with that fear and those things are not grounded in the Bible at all. And I want to need to tear them down real quick, but I want to give you hope before I tear them down. Jesus tells us exactly what to do. And we've got to 
100% rest completely on what he has told us to do. We're gonna get there in just a second, okay? Jesus says that loving God and obeying God are one and the same thing, but my child who I, maybe I try to say he loves God, but... I've heard this statement my entire life, guys. I, you might have heard it as well. My daughter, you know, she loves God, but... And what we're doing is taking what Jesus said four times and we're, we're ripping it in half. Because we do not see fruit in the life of our loved one. We do not see evidence of the Holy Spirit transforming them, making them more loving toward God and people. We don't see it. It's a good thing we're not judged too because Jesus is the only one who has to see it in the end. But Jesus talks a lot about fruit. And I don't see it. So I say, you know, and then I cling to things that don't save, and I, but I don't stop to think about the fact that that doesn't save. You know, he cried some tears at, at high school camp when he was 17 and he prayed a prayer. We know, that's so illogical, we know this book never says that if you cried some tears and prayed a prayer once that that justifies you before God. We know that. If you're new to church, maybe you just heard that for the first time, but we know that. We say things like, man, she used to be up on that stage and she sang on the worship team for years. But, and then the but is this bemoaning of a life of non-submissiveness to Christ. I don't trust Christ, I'm not... You know that your, your daughter or granddaughter singing up on the stage years ago, that, that did not justify her before God. That didn't wash away her sins. You know that. If we stop and take a deep breath and think about it, you know that. I know that. It's super exciting to me on an emotional level. Two of my three kids don't even know another church besides ARCF. You have no, I grew up, I, I, we moved around so much as a kid you have no, much, no idea how much I desire for my kids to be raised here, graduate from high school, go out and start their lives with one church experience. Oh, I want that so bad. And you know what? If they go out and live lives where there is no evidence of the Holy Spirit whatsoever, I cannot say to myself, Greg, you raised your kids in a good church, though. So surely they love God. No, they don't. The book says loving God and obeying God are the same dad-blasted thing. I might not like it, but it's true. Brothers and sisters, we cling to these pencil-thin little statements. They're not even arguments. We cling to them because we are terrified genuinely, and no one's judging you for it. We are genuinely terrified at the idea of loved ones living apart from God for eternity, and we should be but God has told us what to do when people don't know him. And it's not make up theologically bad statements that we would put on our, in, in our brain on a loop so that we can cope, so that we can survive. That's not what it is. Are you ready? Can we get all, off of all of this deconstruction, get onto something more exciting? Are you guys ready yet? I am. I even know what it is and I'm ready. We're gonna skip reading James because it's even more of this. We read it earlier. Trust Jesus, and I'm talking about you. You, the Christian who is concerned about your coworker, concerned about your mother, concerned about your sister. Trust Jesus by clarifying the gospel and by praying. Brothers and sisters, we get to throw seed and we get to water it, full stop. 
That's it. God brings the growth. Are you surprised that we started today talking a lot about trust? Oh, Jesus, take the wheel. Even the part of my life where I'm sharing the gospel with people I care deeply about, still, Jesus, even be in control of that. We share who Jesus is and what he has done on a bloodied cross that he did not deserve. He was in a tomb for a couple of nights that he did not deserve. And he was raised to life on now what we call Easter morning, handing us a resurrection by faith that we do not deserve. Romans 1.16 says that message is the power of God saving people. So you want to drag somebody to church? Fine, but that doesn't save them. Hmm? You want to Catholic guilt somebody? Fine, that doesn't save them. Make sure to pray a prayer around the Thanksgiving table that's uh, you know, God-honoring. That's fine, that doesn't save them. It didn't save you, right? Sometimes we associate the vehicle with the gift that the vehicle brought. Anybody here... Your kids can just hear the squeaking, the, the squeaking of the brakes and they go, oh, Mom, Amazon truck's here, right? It's, it's the, the 21st century Santa. 365 days a year for a small fee, of course. That truck is not the gift. The gift is the gift. And some of us think, well, I grew up in church and that's how I got saved. And it's like, no, no, there are churches that don't share the gospel at all. They're filled with moralistic Pharisees where it's do good, do good, do good, do more, do more, do more. And then they're shocked when the kids run out and wild out. They're abandoning a Christ who was fake from the beginning. Now, now if, if you were saved in church, somebody loved you enough to share the gospel with you. The gospel is what transformed your heart. It's what saved you. The Bible says so. That is how a sovereign God has chosen to work and to save. And you and I, 2 Corinthians 5, if we love Jesus, we have a ministry of reconciliation, sharing this gospel with anybody who will listen. And that by it, people are saved and we see humanity and God reconciled when that happens. Brothers and sisters, if you're sharing the gospel with people that you want to know Christ, you are trusting Jesus. You are allowing him to keep his hands firmly on the wheel because he's told you how to do it. He has told you to share the gospel and that he is in charge of the results. And we just need to own the fact that that terrifies us and say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. He's also told us to pray. He's told us to pray. You tell people, of God's love for them in the cross of Christ. And you ask for that seed to land on good soil. And you ask God to save. And you ask him to save. And you ask him to save. And you ask him to save. Um, Jesus once said, if a wicked judge would give justice to a widow for pestering him, how much more would your father give you what you ask? when you come in faith and persistence. And this isn't in the notes, but I just need to say something so that some of you will feel some permission. 
because we're not God, because we're not the judge, we've got loved ones that we don't know if they're a Christian or not because they have a verbal profession and they're a genuinely nice person. And we're kind of twisting back and forth going, does this person really love Jesus? No, we're not totally sure. I want to make a promise to you because our God is good and merciful and you can see this in scripture. This is just obvious. You can spend 45 years praying for the salvation of your loved one and if you get to heaven and find out that you were wrong, do you think Jesus is going to laugh at you? Hey, Kevin, your daughter was saved the entire time. That was so silly of you to pour your heart out before me saying, Lord, I'm not sure, please save her. Do you think Jesus is going to make fun of you when you get to heaven because you prayed wrong? Brothers and sisters, every time you pray, you probably pray wrong. Oh, not you? Okay, I pray for dumb stuff. We've got 26 years since the Dallas Cowboys Super Bowl. Don't tell me you don't pray for dumb stuff. Even the good stuff, we probably get it wrong because we're, we're the what? We're the disciples who are always three steps behind. Just like the 11, right? Jesus is not gonna laugh at you when you get to heaven if you accidentally prayed for somebody who did in fact love him. It's okay. It's okay. Pray anyway. If you're not sure, pray. If your family member does love Jesus, you should be praying for them to love him more. Like, there's no reason not to pray for somebody. A long time ago, in a continent far, far away, God had smashed Pharaoh and taken us out of slavery. We sent spies into the promised land and we chose to listen to the voice of the spies who were faithless. So God said, okay, I'll give the promised land to your children. You guys are gonna hang out here on a 40-year timeout and while you guys all die off, let's come up with some short-term camping accommodations. Let's start with my house. So God gave instructions for the tabernacle. My Holy Spirit is gonna reside here and everything about this tabernacle is gonna tell you things about spiritual reality. There is a divide between you and me because you're a sinner and I'm holy. But I'm also merciful. So there's an altar where an innocent animal is gonna die instead of you dying. And I will choose to accept your sacrifices and your prayers, even though you are unholy. Because of the death of one who is perfect, I'm gonna choose to listen to your prayers. And we're gonna be in right relationship with each other because of that death. And the priests and the Levites had this unbelievably powerful ministry. And those of us who love Jesus today, we have the exact same ministry. I'm gonna oversimplify their ministry right now into just two bullet points. It's not in your notes, but if you like writing things down, write down these two things. This is what the priests and the Levites did. They clarified for the people how you're reconciled to God. So this is the type of sacrifice. This is how we kill it. This, this is this, this is that, this is that. It was their job to know everything that God had said to help the sinner who came in with their lamb that day to help them understand all of what God's requirements are. So clarifying, how am I reconciled with God? That's one ministry. And the second was prayer. Praying for, 
You know, it's, it's a little bit of a foreign concept to us, you know, 3,400 years later. Well, I can just pray. I can talk to God. Sure. But man, study Leviticus. It darn near sounds like I will not listen to your prayers until you've killed a lamb, until you've killed a bull. Like you need to understand the divorce between me and you. You cannot murder, rape, lie to, manipulate my image bearers and me not be angry about it. The priests clarified how we were to relate to God and they prayed. They offered prayers inside the tabernacle on behalf of an entire people. And God chose to accept those prayers and hear those prayers because obedience was carried out on that altar. Obedience and love went together. Jesus completely fulfilled by being the perfect and last sacrifice. He went to an altar 2,000 years ago so that God and man could be reconciled once and for all. And the ministry of the priesthood, however, did not change. You see, if the bull or the lamb was replaced by the God-man who died in our place, I still have a ministry for those that are trying to get to God of letting you know, okay, here's what the cross is. Here's who died on it. Here's why. Here's what he wanted to accomplish. Here's why it was his joy to do it for you. That's my ministry. And I'm not saying that because I'm on a stage. I'm saying it because I'm a Christian. If you're a Christian, that's your ministry. You get to share with your siblings what the cross is all about. You get to share with your coworkers what the cross is all about. You get to tell your mom what the cross is all about. It's your calling. Back to 2 Corinthians 5. You are ambassadors of Christ everywhere you go. And it's the most precious privilege in the world. You get to tell people how they are rightly reconciled to God. And you get to pray for them. You get to clarify the gospel and pray. Clarify the gospel and pray. And nowhere in that do you take the wheel back from Jesus and say, I'm in charge of the salvation of the world. Savior of the world, brothers and sisters, is a position that is filled. And it will not ever have an opening. And that's what terrifies me about people that I love dearly. I want to be savior of the world for a minute and I want to take control of it. But I can't and I mustn't because Greg Kaiser is way more sinful and way more broken than he thinks he is. And if I was savior of the world, I would mess it all up. I would mess it all up. Next steps, so what do we do? If you don't leave, love Jesus, if you do not obey Jesus, my call to you always is to do those things. You have a center of your existence, whether you admit it or not. Make sure the center of your existence can bear under the weight of all this world throws at you. Christian, this is wordy, so I had to type it out. If you have a loved one who might not know Christ, share the gospel as often as you get the chance. And if that's intimidating, invite them to a service for your friend Greg to share the gospel for you. I use that word intentionally. It is your privilege to share the gospel, but I understand sometimes we're intimidated, sometimes we're scared. I want Sunday morning to be an absolute easy button where you know that the mercy of God is gonna be preached from this stage. Share the gospel with your friends. If that's intimidating, invite them. 
those of you who love Jesus and have kids or grandkids, teach your kids that love for God is the foundation of obedience to God. Oh, please, parents, you're going to create Pharisees if we don't get this right. We so desperately want obedience because we can see the external obedience. We can see whether there's compliance or not. Oh, but love is the foundation. Parents, please keep opening children's Bibles. Please open, like, good Christian resources. Show them the love of Christ over and over and over again to draw their hearts to love Jesus in return. I promise you when Jesus captures their heart, obedience is what flows out of that. If you and I get all wrapped around the axle about obedience, we're going to miss it. We're going to miss it. Love is the foundation for good deeds. It's the foundation. So every call to faith between you and Jesus, every single time Jesus tells you, trust me, I've got this, it's going to be hard. It's going to require us to let go of control. We are not going to like it. And then what do we do? One option is though I'm terrified and this is difficult, one option is that I do it anyway. Some of the most important decisions we've ever made in life were decisions when we were terrified and we needed to say yes anyway. So I'm gonna pray for us. Lord Jesus, those of us who love you, we confess that our faith absolutely has to grow. God, we confess that we didn't learn anything new. Share the gospel and pray. Lord, none of us were surprised by that. It's evidence, God, that we really, really are struggling to trust you with our loved ones. We're struggling to trust you with parents or my, my aunt, my brother, my friend. God, we confess aloud today that it's um, kind of perverse for us to not trust you with salvation. Salvation's your idea. You came up with it. You brought it to completion. And Lord, our faith needs to grow. It simply needs to grow. God, make us a people who, like Abraham, could climb Mount Moriah with our son. as unthinkable as that is. Make us a people who also passes the test of faith. Because we trust you with the power of life and of resurrection. God, I ask for your Holy Spirit's protection against the enemy's schemes that he would have us be condemned right now. He would love to accuse us about how terrible our faith is. Instead, fill our minds and hearts with the confidence of your love that you do not scold your children when they fall and scrape their knee. You pick your children back up. Oh God, pick us up and give us faith like we've never had before. In the precious name of Jesus, we ask for this faith. God's people said,
Amen. I love you guys. Oh, if you have not voted, is that what I'm telling him to do? If you did not vote through email this week on a church name, go to Melissa at the sign-up table right now and vote. If you're not sure which one, make sure to do the church across the street from Leatherby's because that's still the best option. That's not on the ballot. Love you guys.